Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to the CHEST Journal Podcast. I'm Dr. Gretchen Winter, and I am your CHEST Podcast Moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a thought-provoking discussion on the use of e-cigarettes for harm reduction. We are fortunate to have Mr. Clive Bates, Dr. Hasmina Kathuria, and Dr. Frank Leone as our guests. Dr. Bates wrote the pro side of this point counterpoint in the September issue of the CHESS Journal on the use of e-cigarettes for harm reduction in tobacco use disorder. Mr. Bates is the former Director of Action on Smoking and Health in the UK and now runs the Counterfactual, a sustainability and public health consultancy, and his expertise is in evidence-based policymaking. Drs. Katharia and Leone wrote the con side of the discussion. Dr. Katharia is an associate professor at Boston University Medical School and is the director of the Tobacco Treatment Center at Boston Medical Center. And Dr. Leone is a professor of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania and a senior fellow of the Leonard David Institute of Health Economics, as well as director of the Comprehensive Smoking Treatment Program for the University of Pennsylvania Health System. Thanks very much for having us, Dr. Winner. Yes, thank you. So a real pleasure to be here. Hopefully it'll be an interesting and informative debate. I'm sure it will. Now, I have to say, this is one of the more passionately written pro-cons that I've read in the past, so I am excited to see where this discussion takes us. Now, Mr. Bates, to start with you, you state that the main reason e-cigarettes are useful for harm reduction is the lack of combustion compared to cigarettes. Can you please discuss that for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, most of the harms, the cancer, cardiovascular disease, the COPD, are associated with smoking are caused by products of combustion, uh, things that are created in the hot burning coal at the tip of the cigarette. Um, Now, when you look at the vapor aerosol coming from uh, an e-cigarette, you'll find that the uh, most of those hazardous constituents in cigarette smoke are either not present or present at very, very much lower levels. And you can follow that up, measure biomarkers of exposure in the blood, the saliva and urine, and you'll see much, much lower levels of exposure. And it's on that basis that the uh, projection forward is that these things will do you much less harm. There's a much lower burden of toxicant exposure and therefore less harm. And the idea is that these products are easier to switch to than quitting completely. And therefore you go most of the way towards stopping smoking, but it's easier for the most addicted, the most dependent smokers to have a go at. And that's what the basic premise is. Easier to switch to, but much lower burden of toxicity. Now, Drs. Katharia and Leone, you argue that while proponents of e-cigarette use proclaim its benefits in harm reduction, after 15 years on the market, there is still insufficient evidence to support the claim that they're associated with significant harm reduction. Can you please elaborate on that? 
Sure. It's true, actually. Everything that Mr. Bates said was true about a lot of the harmful constituents of smoke are really products of combustion. But the equivalence between combustion and those products and the level of toxicants is actually sort of an incomplete equivalence. In other words, the lungs don't really care the method by which you uh, supplied the energy to produce the aerosol that gets delivered to the lung. What the lungs care about is what's in the aerosol, how much of it's in there, how long of it stays, how long it stays down there. A lot of the sort of characteristics of the aerosol itself, not just the chemistry of the aerosol, but really the physical characteristics of the aerosol, actually have the potential anyway to result in significant harm to the airway and the airway biology, not to mention uh, distal biology in the heart, blood vessels, etc. So our contention is not so much that there's insufficient evidence to support the claim. It's more precise to really say that there's actually a lot of evidence that has com- uh, accumulated that's conflicting. There's For every study that says, hey, this ought to be good for us, there's a study that injects a little bit of uncertainty, a little bit of potential for harm uh, that may be long-term. And Mr. Bates, what is your response to this claim that there is conflicting evidence regarding the safety of e-cigarettes? Well, I, I don't think it's that strongly conflicting. I mean, the, the exposures to the toxicants of concern, uh, the things that we know lead to serious disease, are much lower. Uh, and it's true that it depends on both the physics and the chemistry of the aerosol. The chemistry is that the e-cigarette aerosol has much lower levels of toxins in it, toxicants in it, um, and far fewer at a detectable level. And that's the basis for the harm reduction claim. The physics is different as well. I mean, an aerosol droplet is essentially a small, um, you know, a ball of liquid, whereas cigarette smokes are much stickier, more viscous particle and is much more likely to lodge in the lungs. So yes, uh, if we look at aerosol chemistry and uh, aerosol physics, there is a completely different profile there. And then you go further and say, well, what do we find in the saliva, the urine, uh, the blood uh, as biomarkers of exposure? And you see much, much lower levels of the toxicants of concern, the hazardous and potentially hazardous constituents that you find in cigarette smoke and to a much lesser extent in uh, in e-liquids. We, we know beyond any reasonable doubt that smoking is incredibly harmful. So we've got enough evidence, not complete evidence, we won't have that for 40, 50 years, if ever. Um, but we know enough to know that this is a good move for someone to make if they can make it, and particularly if they can't give up smoking completely. Because the alternative isn't always smoking cessation, Uh, it may be continuing to smoke. And that's what we see for more and more people just continuing to smoke because there's no alternative for them. So I think you've got to get it in perspective that this is a harm reduction option, not something that eliminates all harm completely, but it's one that people can take and are willing to do it, even if they don't want to quit smoking. Dr. Katharian Leone, you discuss possible negative effects from the inhalation of e-cigarette vapor. Can you please review those? So there are several case reports, including eosinophilic pneumonia, diffuse alveolar hemorrhage, hypersensitivity pneumonitis, organizing pneumonia, lipoid pneumonia, and severe asthma, and of course, e 
There's in vitro and in vivo studies showing endothelial damage, DNA damage, oxidative stress, impairment in lung function, reduced innate immunity to pulmonary infections, and increased pulmonary inflammation. There's been longitudinal studies that have demonstrated worrisome exposure to known tobacco-related toxicants and associations with elevated risk of incident pulmonary disease. There's been large-scale observational studies demonstrating an association between e-cigarette use and myocardial infarction. So these studies remind us that e-cigarette aerosol is not water vapor, it's not without harm, and that e-cigarette may have a unique harm profile distinct from that of combustible cigarettes. So, you know, even though the industry likes to refer to these products as electronic nicotine delivery devices or ENDs, they would be more accurately described as electronic nicotine, propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, and mixture of organic flavor and delivery devices. It's just not as catchy an acronym. And can you please review the data you presented on the adverse effects of varenicline compared to those of e-cigarettes? So I guess I'll take that one. Uh, That's coming off of a clinical practice guideline that was produced by the American Thoracic Society about a year ago or so. And uh, what we were interested in at the time was really that question came in the context of actually identifying the most effective treatment strategies for people who are dependent on nicotine, on tobacco. And once we identified the optimal controller medication as varenicline, then the next question was, is there data out there to suggest that the electronic cigarette could perform as well as varenicline in helping people to stop smoking? And as you would imagine, the data that directly compared varenicline to electronic cigarettes was pretty sparse. Uh, insufficient to really come to any uh, significant conclusions to. What we were able to do was actually then do a network meta-analysis comparing electronic cigarettes and the performance over time within a number of studies compared to the subject experience in studies that use varenicline. And we were surprised to find that, in fact, uh, the the rate of serious adverse events in in subjects that were randomized to receive electronic cigarettes actually was almost three times higher than the rate of adverse events in subjects randomized to receive varenicline. Now, it's important to recognize that serious adverse events is not synonymous with harm. That's just how researchers characterize different events or different reactions, complaints that, that subjects report during the conduct of the study. But in the from the perspective of the sort of Uh, almost universal assumptions that e-cigarettes have to be safe and varenicline is associated with high rates of uh, side effects, we were actually stunned to see the opposite was true uh, when you do the comparisons across uh, study, study results. And Mr. Bates, what is your response to these safety concerns we discussed? Well, I mean, I, I think the, the sort of general picture that we have with e-cigarettes is that we're not seeing a lot of serious adverse effects. They're not being picked up by the, you know, the, the standard recording methodologies. Um, I, happen to, I happen to agree that the concerns about varenicline are generally uh, overplayed uh, and that that should be part of the uh, armory for the smoking cessation. Um, but I... I, I think that what really matters is what actually works for people. What, what will, if you take the primary objective is to get someone to sm- stop smoking, 
what is the thing that works? What is the thing that you can get them to try? Okay, now, if it's varenicline, great, use that. If it's not varenicline or they don't want to quit smoking or they want to do something different, then, um, um, then, then, you know, try e-cigarettes. But the primary objective has to be to get people to stop smoking. There just isn't in the user population and the, and the recording systems for these things a sign of much sign of severe adverse effects happening. It just isn't there. Now, Mr. Bates, you also discussed the concept of a harm reduction approach being psychologically different from a smoking cessation attempt. Can you please elaborate on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two models, uh, uh, two public health models at work here. And one is the the conventional smoking cessation approach, which we're, we're all quite familiar with and all very supportive of, which is that you're trying to get somebody to go from smoking to abstinence and you're giving them counseling and therapies that assist them with withdrawal, um, uh, with, with the withdrawal effects and craving and so on. OK, so NRT, varenicline, whatever. The e-cigarette the e method, e-cigarettes work for that as well, but they have a different approach. And th this is where somebody is try doesn't necessarily want to quit smoking, likes to use nicotine, um, but wants to do it differently without the risks of, you know, cancer, heart disease, um, um, respiratory illnesses, and so on. And here, what you're providing is a, essentially a consumer alternative, something that they want to do instead of smoking, but at a risk that is far lower to the individual than continuing to smoke. So to me, it's more uh, a substitute for cigarettes than it is a smoking cessation strategy. And that means a lot of things about um, e-cigarettes have to be done differently. They have to appeal to the user. They have to be attractive to someone who's smoking as an alternative to cigarettes. Or they find they, they may be effective, but if no one uses them, you don't get the public health impact. So, Drs. Katharia and Leon, with regards to that, you also discuss your concerns regarding strategies, though, that may bias individuals away from evidence-based therapy for smoking cessation. Can you please elaborate on that? So, FDA-approved pharmacotherapy, we know they're effective in helping individuals who smoke quit. We know they have few and mild side effects. They have a low likelihood of causing nicotine dependence and do not cause youth initiation, youth addiction, and transition to combustible tobacco products. So, misinformation about proper use of pharmacotherapy, ideal self-determined cessation strategies, and relative adverse event rates have resulted in 30% of the UK cessation attempts being supported by e-cigarettes with fewer than 5% by varenicline. So strategies that bias patients away from evidence-based therapies are themselves a public health harm, corrected only by dissemination of accurate information and not by unproven alternatives. Dr. Winter, if I could supplement with this a quick point. Actually, um, you know, um, Mr. Bates actually talks a little bit about consumer strategy. And, in fact, there's no one who's advocating for keeping electronic cigarettes out of the marketplace or not allowing consumers to pursue whatever they would like to pursue. What we're really talking about is whether or not 
electronic cigarettes have risen to the level of an adequate public health protection strategy. And uh, Mr. Bates's position is really based on the sense, the assumption that the overall risk is far lower than that of cigarettes. But actually, the the sort of typical toxicologic studies that are usually done in order to at least infer what the potential risk is likely to be to a population of a variety of individuals using the device in a variety of ways has not been done. In fact, uh, regulations to kind of constrain the variability within the sort of environment of electronic cigarette devices have been, uh, there's a lot of pushback against regulation and constrainment in the market. So we're really talking about a policy position rather than bans or removing it from the marketplace or telling people that they're not allowed to do whatever they want to do. And I think that's a very important point uh, to make sure the audience is clear on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with some of that. I, I, what, I, what I think we have to see is e-cigarettes as an additional strategy to those of the conventional smoking cessation strategies. Now, you know, the, the, evidence, the evidence for the smoking cessation strategies is not as strong as people believe. Um, the, the, the trials are conducted on people who want to quit smoking, therefore are motivated enough to quit smoking and join a trial to see what works. But that isn't the vast majority of smokers. Um, and the, 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 the interesting thing with e-cigarettes is that we've got a potential strategy for here, here for people who don't want to quit smoking, either because they're dependent on nicotine, if you want to put it that way, or uh, because they like it. Uh, and, you know, however much they say they want to quit, many people find it difficult to quit. So I would see this as an addition to the smoking cessation strategy. But when you mentioned the UK, many of the smoking cessation services in the UK are now adopting e-cigarettes as part of their armory of, of, of measures or strategies that they've got for different types of smokers coming in. Um, and that's why, we've, that's why we've seen a lot of success in the UK. We've now got uh, probably 3.6 million people uh, out, out of, um, you know, uh, sorry, vaping, compared to something like seven or eight million smoking. And we're starting to see the smoking rate come down as a result of that. And the evidence for um, vaping as a public health strategy is pretty strong. There are randomized controlled trials. Uh, they show roughly double the efficacy of NRT. We have population trends that show show uh, accelerated decline in smoking. We have observational studies that follow um, smokers through the use of e-cigarettes and show quitting as a result of it. Um, so in some countries, we've seen fairly dramatic declines in cigarette consumption as e-cigarettes has risen. So you put the whole picture together and you have a very strong case that vaping is displaced Facing smoking at the population level with very strong likelihood of pretty significant public health benefits as a result. Very little of that evidence is available for NRT or the um, other smoking cessation treatments like varenicline population data and so on. So we do have a compelling case here that this is working at the public health 
population level. But what we shouldn't do is see these as rival strategies. They are complementary strategies that work with smokers. The problem for people who don't really want to give up smoking or nicotine. Everything Mr. Bates uh, has contends is true under the assumption that electronic cigarettes are safer than cigarettes. And that's all we're really asking for. We're asking for some work, a little bit of effort, some organized uh, approach to actually putting some certainty behind that assumption. That assumption has risen to the level of dogmatic belief. And we are actually a little bit skeptical of, at the level of certainty that people assign to that belief. We feel like there's at least, I, I'm speaking for myself, I guess, I'm, I feel like there's at least a reasonable chance um, that the, the public health benefit of introducing electronic cigarettes into a large population, a varied population exposed to a variety of devices, using them in a variety of ways, is likely to have less uh, or, or is likely to the, the potential benefit of that is an overestimation. Well, Mr. Bates, moving on to a different argument, how do you address the concerns over e-cigarette or vaping use associated lung injury, also known as e-valley? I think this is pretty simple. This was nothing to do with nicotine vaping whatsoever. And I've recently written a paper on this, uh, so I've looked at it in some detail. The culprit chemical that was found was vitamin E acetate. Um, this is a thickener, um, a cutting agent, if you like, that was used in um, THC or cannabis vaping oils okay and it was used to basically dilute these oils while keeping the viscosity high so that users couldn't necessarily tell that these products had been thinned down there's no real doubt that that was a cause and that is what uh, cdc have acknowledged and there's good science on this that's been published in various journals now that substance cannot be added to um nicotine e-liquids it just cannot it's not miscible with them you know if you it, put them together, they would separate. Also, there's no economic reason to use it. It's quite expensive. There's no economic reason to use it in nicotine e-liquids because they're very easy to dilute and to thin, and viscosity isn't a thing of interest for nicotine vapors. We saw a huge surge in Ivali cases in the second half of 2019, localized to the United States, so it wasn't worldwide, so it's not a generic problem with nicotine vaping, consistent with supply chain contamination. That then fell away to very low levels by the end of, uh, by, sorry, by the beginning of uh, 2000, consistent with the supply chain emptying of contaminated illicit THC vapes. That is the basic explanation for what happened, and no other explanation is necessary or plausible. Nothing was done to e-cigarettes to change them in any way, but the e-valley epidemic basically petered out by around February 2020, consistent with these contaminated THC vapes coming off the market. Now, the, the two things have been conflated um, in, in the public consciousness, as there's been some, I think, quite unscrupulous use of e-valley to imply a problem with nicotine e-cigarettes that simply doesn't exist. 
but it's absolutely clear from the evidence and epidemiology and so on. Now, some of the confusion may have arisen because some people using these products said they didn't use THC, but there's a long established uh, evidence base for people not being straightforward about when they use THC for obvious reasons. It's illegal, they get in trouble with their parents, their school, their college, their workplace, their probation officers, law enforcement. So people aren't always candid about what they're doing and that created some initial confusion. But there is no doubt this is nothing to do with nicotine vaping at all. Now, Drs. Katharia and Leone, do you have a response to Dr. Bates' points? Uh, I guess I'll take it. Uh, um, it's, I guess my response would be centered around the level of certainty that Mr. Bates implies in his statement. Uh, like, I under, I actually get and agree with a lot of the factual elements of his uh, thesis, basically, but I'm not so sure that I'm ready to say that it absolutely has nothing to do with, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's about 10%, maybe a little bit more, of the Avali cases that were first described in, in the series that came up during the epidemic, where people both reported not using THC, and THC could not be identified in their blood tests. And, you know, for us to sort of assign motivations to people that we don't really know just so we can be absolutely certain that it had nothing whatsoever to do uh, with the actual aerosol itself doesn't quite fit. In fact, I have a patient in my ICU right now who would meet that definition. She denies uh, THC use, and there's no THC in her toxicologic screens. Either way, even if it's true, let's stipulate for a second that the contention that it's all about vitamin E acetate and THC. The truth is, is that that notion then becomes proof of concept that lung injury is really not about the method that's used to deliver the aerosol. It's not about the device or the heating element. It's really rather about the interplay between the biology of the airway and the delivery characteristics of the aerosol. It's about viscosity. It's about temperature. It's about concentration. It's about depth of delivery. These are exceedingly important characteristics that are all tightly regulated when you are uh, in the business of creating an aerosol designed for drug delivery that doesn't go into the engineering of these devices. Um, you know, vitamin E is also sort of, uh, as an extension of that, that concept of vitamin E causing this is really a uh, proof of concept that regulation is actually very important. The, you know, a lot of these devices are designed to be variable. It's a, it's, uh, or, uh, uh, sort of modified by the user. It's a feature, not a bug for a lot of these devices. And so, we would say if what you really want to do is drill down on the potential for good, start to think about kind of creating some certainty, some, some lack of variation within the community, and let's actually make these things uh, reliably useful rather than constantly sowing doubt with, with all these reports of illness and, and, and just you know, the, down, the potential for downstream effects is, um, without the toxicologic data, is actually pretty high. Now, Drs. Kateria and Leone, you discussed data from an analysis by the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine regarding e-cigarette use and eventual cigarette use. 
Can you please review that data and its interplay with adolescents' e-cigarette use? So the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act in 2009 mandates that new tobacco products be shown to have a net population health benefit to users and non-users of the product. In this context, if e-cigarettes cause more people to begin smoking cigarettes and fewer people to quit cigarettes, even if, as is hoped, e-cigarettes pose less risk to the user than smoking cigarettes, e-cigarettes would pose a net population of health burden. So the National Academies of Science reviewed more than 800 research papers on e-cigarettes to summarize the state of the science and identify research needs and made several conclusions. First, e-cigarette use increases the frequency and intensity of subsequent cigarette smoking. E-cigarette use results in symptoms of dependence on e-cigarettes. In addition to nicotine, most e-cigarettes contain and emit numerous potentially toxic substances. Except for nicotine, exposure to potentially toxic substances from e-cigarettes under typical conditions of use is lower compared with conventional cigarettes, but the variability in the characteristics of e-cigarette products such as nicotine concentration, flavoring, device type, and brand is an important determinant of the risk and severity of dependence on e-cigarettes. Mr. Bates, what is your response to the concern that e-cigarettes may function as a gateway drug to smoking cigarettes for teenagers? Well, I'm afraid there's no evidence for it, but there's a lot of confusion around it. And again, the, what, what you see is there is quite a strong association between vaping and smoking. So if people vape, they're also likely to smoke. If people smoke, they're also likely to vape. But the reason for that is not because one product is a gateway to another. It's really because both behaviors, smoking and vaping, are quite similar. And they are caused by the same things in the individual. Genetics, family background, mental health condition, um, experience at school, the community, and so on. All the many reasons that we know go into explaining why people smoke are similar to the reasons why people vape. So these two behaviours travel together. Now, that has been interpreted by some as a gateway, that the e-cigarettes cause the smoking, but it's just not the case. The correct term for it is confounding by common causes or confounding by common liability, if you like. Um, and it's the fact that the individuals share, have characteristics that incline them to both smoking and vaping. Um, it's a good thing because it means that vaping is concentrated in the populations of young people who are most likely to smoke. And when, when we look at who's vaping and how frequently, we find that frequent vaping is concentrated in the young people who are smokers, ex-smokers, or have a high propensity to smoking. And there's then been other research which shows that in those younger age groups, vaping is acting as a diversion away from smoking. So it's almost exit. And there's reasonable, you know, just that the seeing smoking amongst young people falling at the most rapid rates we've seen in recent history. And that the, the actual overall population trends are much more consistent with a, a vaping as a diversion from smoking than they are as a gateway effect. So I don't really think there's anything in, uh, there's a lot of confusion, but I don't think there's any 
any evidence at all to support the idea that vaping is a gateway to smoking. It's just that these associations have to be explained uh, with a more plausible uh, theory, which is to do with these common causes and common liability. So as we finish up our discussion, can you each please give our listeners a closing thought on what you have learned from your experiences and this pro-con discussion? What do you want our listeners to take away from this discussion? Mr. Bates? Look, I think we have, uh, I mean, a lot of your listeners will be working, uh, you know, at the coalface, if you like, dealing with patients, trying to solve their problems, trying to make their lives a bit better. Here is an additional strategy that you can try. It's not like going to zero harm. It's harm reduction. Um, but it's a very deep reduction in harm. Um, we're, we're seeing much, much lower uh, exposure to toxicants. We're not seeing any particularly serious effects happening uh, in the user population of these products um, with, with now you know, well over 10 years of experience at high-level use. We're seeing a lot of people giving up smoking using these products and feeling a lot better in themselves their health, their well-being, their economic circumstances all improving. So I would say to physicians who are trying to solve problems, trying to be practical and pragmatic, if uh, the patient is a smoker and they want to give it a try, encourage them. Get up to speed on how this stuff all works and think about whether it's something you could try as a different strategy, particularly where the conventional patient really doesn't look that interested in trying it. And Dr. Katharia. I think it's important for the audience to understand that the case for harm reduction is straightforward. We practice harm reduction every day. What's not straightforward is whether e-cigarettes in their current configuration actually represent a path forward towards that goal. E-cigarettes are under-regulated, heavily marketed worldwide, subject to variable quality control measures, and deliver aerosols that contain addictive and toxic substances that are highly dependent on the characteristics of the aerosol and the details of the delivery method. Imagine the interaction between human biology, disease pathogenesis, and environmental toxicant exposure as straightforward requires ignoring 50 years of insights into aerosol physics, toxicology, and inflammation biology. We've all heard innumerable times that for every complex problem, there's a solution that's simple, elegant, and wrong. This is particularly true in the biological sciences. Anyone with experience in aerosolized drug development and delivery recognizes that it's always the unexpected, unanticipated effects that need to be carefully accounted for. I'd hate for us to imagine that the e-cigarette represents a simple and elegant solution to the tobacco epidemic while maintaining a blind eye towards the potential unintended harms they represent. And Dr. Leone. Uh, so I would say the most important part, I think, is um, in Mr. Bates' rebuttal, he was concerned that really uh, this moving forward was really a function of insatiable skepticism. But I would actually say that the audience listening to this podcast is used to managing competing risks all the time, every day. That's what they do. Insatiable skepticism is just a different word for science, really. Uh, insatiable skepticism is just a different way of expressing the ethic of first do no harm. 
insatiable skepticism is is another way of saying professionalism and open-mindedness and constantly reassessing whether or not our judgment actually turns out to be correct. At this point in the process, there's enough evidence to suggest that we really need to be a little bit careful about overgeneralizations and overstatements when it comes to electronic cigarettes. If your patient wants to try an electronic cigarette, you can't do anything to stop them from trying it. But what you could do is find a way to, to understand what it is that they're worried about, understand what it is that they're trying to accomplish, and help them find a way to do that using evidence-based therapies that have been proven to be reliable and safe. Well, a big thank you to Mr. Bates. Dr. Katharia and Dr. Leone for a very lively discussion and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter and this is a chess podcast. Until next time.